Hello and welcome to another episode of African Jopadi. My name is Ife and I am speaking from Staffordshire in England. Hello, I'm Dihia and I am Ife's co-host and I'm speaking from Vancouver this time. So today we're going to be talking about mothering and active researcher or well being active in research whilst also being a mother yeah we were thinking about naming it like parenting researchers but we thought maybe that would sound like people who research parenting which is not the topic today and this is basically improvised an improvised podcast um, but it's really important to us because we're both mothers and however i think that some um uh, fathers could relate as well, I think, given what we're going to discuss, which we don't know yet because this is completely improvised as well. Yes, um, so absolutely. It, it is improvised, but I also, we feel, obviously we're talking about it because we feel that it is very important for, I guess, people that sometimes sort of see one working actively as a researcher or even in the field. And and maybe sometimes make assumptions like, oh, you, you have kids. How come you're here and not at home? You know, the, yeah. the stereotypes of, well, women should stay at home and look after their kids and not necessarily stay away from them. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's really, uh, you know, and as a researcher, um, before we start even talking about the anecdotes of our experiences about, you know, how people perceive us and what we do and the guilt that we feel that but beyond that, we all know that, you know, like the researchers, at least amongst us, understand that as a researcher, your brain is always wired to think nonstop whenever. It's as if the world stops if we don't answer that email at three in the morning. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's very difficult. And we were talking about this with Ife earlier. Like, it's very difficult to find the balance. And, and beyond that be the addition in the, to addition in addition to the lack of balance there is the guilt that we feel as mothers you know when we travel for example and then add on top of that another layer of people when they say well who who keeps your kid your kids i mean you know they who keeps them i don't know i abandon them in some box under a bridge somewhere or something like that you know they yeah. have you know a dad or a mom or whatever but it is it is really it's like three layers you know like the fact that you feel guilt the fact that the perceptions of people the fact that you don't rest and and you know unfortunately research is not made in such a way that funders think about the kids as well or that mm, that's actually right yeah and quite frankly like um i don't know about you Ike, like i'm really really looking forward to hear some of your anecdotes with regards to that especially in your recent trips but um i like this year i basically traveled every month i went somewhere mm. every month basically since since i started like I, I only took six months parent maternity leave like here in canada it's basically a year i only took six months and then in March, I went to Toronto, but I took the kids with me because I was thinking, oh, I can't leave my, my baby. She was born in October and I can't now have a five-year-old. Like, I can't leave her. So I took her with me to Toronto. It was okay. She didn't start crawling or anything. And then 
I went after that to Senegal and then I went to Geneva and I went to Amsterdam and then at a certain point, and I'm breastfeeding, and at mm-hmm. a certain point in Amsterdam, I was like, what the heck? I am going to freeze my milk and, you know, because I have to pump. Yeah. It's taboo, you know, for a lot of people, you know, we have to pump because we have to keep the flow of milk. And sorry if some people feel offended that I say this, but I'm not apologizing for it. It should not be a taboo. I pump milk because as a breastfeeding, proud breastfeeding mom, I have to keep the supply going and it's not pretty and I feel like a cow on the plane on my seat because you know everything but we have to make it work right and so in Amsterdam I it was oh my god like it was so difficult because you have to travel with your milk frozen milk so I froze everything at the hotel I did not have a fridge in my room or a freezer so I had to go to the receptionist and basically tell him and explain hey I have to freeze the milk can you put please put my breast milk in your freezer it was yeah. like it was really shocked. It was like, excuse me, what? It was like, I have to freeze this milk. It was like, why? It's like, I don't have to explain. Can you just please put it in your freezer? And I have like to put three layers of plastic bags, you know, not proud. Yeah. They they feel like it's yucky or something. So I had to really to isolate it basically. So they did that and I accumulated like a lot of milk bags and then I put them in that like that special box with like a lot of ice and stuff because I had to travel thankfully a straight flight i think it was a straight direct flight from amsterdam to vancouver mm-hmm. no i actually had to stop somewhere like in toronto i think and so was, oh. imagine on a plane from amsterdam to toronto and i had like to basically ask the um, flight attendants could you please put it in your freezer thinking that the plane had a freezer they don't they have a fridge with ice in it so they were nice oh. enough to put it in there like an isolated kind of thing with ice and then it, it was still frozen. Then when I got to Toronto, like the guilt and the worriness and the stress that I felt like I did all this, you know, and milk, Ife, remember like how you perceive well, it? It's a treasure. You don't want to lose that bag. Yeah. It, it feels awful. Like if I have to lose one drop of it, I feel awful. So imagine like, I don't know how many bags I had in there, but it was like, okay, I mm-hmm. Defrost. I hope it doesn't defrost. And then on the plane from Toronto to Vancouver, like I was, the the flight attendant refused to put it in the fridge thing, and I was like, by the way, thanks Air Canada. And then, and then I had to put it under, mm-hmm. my, you know, the seat in front of me, and I would check every two seconds. And then by the, I I had to take my pump out, and I asked the flight attendants, is the plug in the bathroom working? They were like, no. They were like, oh, you can pump, you know, in here, like on your seat. It was like, okay, great. And then when I took the pump out, this lady who was like, she was of a certain age, she was like, oh, my brother has the same thing. It was like, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. My brother. You know, I was like, I think you're mistaking these for, this for something else. I, I, I took the cone of it. I don't know like, how many people know how a breast pump looks like, but I took, yeah. I took the, the cone of it and then the, the thing, and I started putting it on my breast. Again, not apologizing for describing this. Like, I'm very proud of being a breastfeeding mom. Yeah. She looks at me. She looks at me. And basically, she was like, and then I, as I was putting that on my breast, I was, I was explaining to her, this is actually a breast pump. I'm breastfeeding. So this is supposed to, you know, to, to pump my milk from my breast. And she was looking at me and I was like, so what do your brother use this for? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I don't want to know, basically. Yeah. But, 
But you know, this is, and then she was looking at me in a weird way. Then the guys who were going back and forth to the washrooms were looking and I was like, okay, this is not great. And especially that I have, you have to cover yourself and all of that. And it, it was like all hectic, but I felt, you know, the happiness that I felt when I arrived home and it was still like, you know, breast milk, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be all frozen. Even if it, there's like one little bit of ice remaining in it, you can still put mm. it in the freezer. Like there are so, certain rules and everything, but this is basically. Yeah. And so this is just one of the things, um, like as a breastfeeding mom that I felt at, like while traveling, because we don't necessarily have something to, you know, like we don't, we can, we, and I tried like, you know, shipping it to France from Amsterdam, but France does not accept breast milk. Oh, okay. For some reason. So it's, it was all complicated, but I made it work. But you meant the, the, the mix of emotions that you feel leaving your baby behind, the stress of the yeah. breast, the stress of losing your breast milk, the stress of your baby not wanting to breastfeed anymore, uh, and mm. maybe the fact that your husband or partner or whatever is struggling, you know, on the other side of the world because he's dealing with two kids and yeah, there and you hear them crying and they want mama and it, well, it's just anyways. Like, have you ever experienced that before? Oh yeah, I I I have experienced it. Actually, my first ever experience. I I wouldn't really call it, it. It's not as in terms of missing someone that bad. But I remember when I started doing my PhD when my daughter was six months old. Oh God! And so yeah, and but obviously I I was in the UK, so it was just a matter of just traveling to London and coming home, and you know. The, the the agony of it you know being a mom and also breastfeeding was that obviously i'm like in london for seven hours some days yeah. so it means that my and, and i'm not pumping so yeah. I'm, I'm i'm sort of attending workshops and having meetings with supervisors or sort of in the library with really heavy painful boobs you know because <laughs> I, I breastfed until she was almost three and so this was just some of the experiences that I still remember I'm like oh god and mm-hmm. I wish that I I couldn't do that but she wouldn't I tried to stop breastfeeding her but she wouldn't actually stop until a very long time and it was difficult for me but at the same time I, I I I was privileged that I had a partner that could actually not yeah. only look after the kid, but she was happy to stay with the dad. So it wasn't that stressful. Yeah. However, I it was she was around eighteen months when I went for my field work in Nigeria, and we all went together, obviously because I couldn't um, leave her. Yeah. But then um, when I got to Nigeria, I had to leave her. In, in town to then go to, to the field, to the Niger Delta. I spent um, a while there. And that was even the most difficult part because then I was two months pregnant when I was in the field and she was <laughs> nearly two years old. And so the difficulty of the emotions of leaving someone at home yeah, or leaving someone yeah, at, at home, but in Nigeria and then being in, in the field not knowing what is going to happen because where i i was doing my field work was basically for, for well 
if, if, if you follow the advice of the FCO, that is the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, yeah. the area I was at at the time was basically code red. So, I mean, only essential travels was allowed. But obviously, as a Nigerian, I was like, oh, well, this is not for me. So, although my husband at the time was was quite um, sort of concerned, he said, no, but you shouldn't be going there. I mean, it's okay for us to go to Portacot because blah, blah. But you can't, you can't go to Boni. You can't go to, you know, where the, the, the treff they are basically talking about is. You can't go to the center. Not when you're pregnant. I mean, forget about collecting the data and things like that. But I felt like, well, hmm, I'm a Nigerian. So this is basically not for me. <laughs> I have a lot of stories to tell. But, but at the same time, I mean, bringing it back to being a mom, it was very difficult because not only was I concerned about her and how she's faring, having only visited Nigeria for the first time, I was also very emotional. Yeah. My hormones were all over the place because I was now pregnant with a second child. Yeah. It was really a very difficult, I mean, difficult five, six months. But a long time. Again, yeah, I know. But then again, my they were local, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like they were in the UK and I was in Nigeria. So I could also see them now and again. But I knew that it was only for a while. And the hope that this was only temporal sort of kept me going. And I have to also say the fact that my husband supported me through and through made it easy. Otherwise, the reality is that it wouldn't have happened. This is the truth. And being in Nigeria at the time, my parents frowned upon it. They were like, what do you think you're doing, eh? Who do you think you are? You're leaving the kids with your husband <laughs> to do what, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. God it, forbid it you're leaving the kids with your husband. Oh, it's, it's like... Yeah, yeah. So, obviously... um, What a horrific it, thing to do, Ife. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, it is. No, so my husband had to obviously say, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like what a day of age, so. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah. I think that it's, you know, when I was, um, when I, when was that? So I, at a certain point, so I had my PhD. So I, I remember, like, you know the story, right? Like I, I had Ilyas, my first son. I had him right after I, like a day after I submitted my PhD thesis. And I was like, I'm going to be a great mom. I'm not going to travel and let him here by himself. Like not completely forgot about my husband who actually took two years off to stay with him and everything. But it really took me some time to convince myself, okay, I can travel now. But the very first time um, when basically Daniel was saying, okay, we need to do this now in West Africa. So you have to go. And I was like, okay, going to Senegal, Gambia and Cape Verde. I was like, okay, I'm taking him with me. Let's all go, you know, with my husband and, and my son, let's all go. And it was the worst idea ever, you know, like, this thing, like, I think that it helped me a little bit with the guilt of like leaving them behind because um, he was 15 months old by then. And, you know, like they're cute and everything. And you really feel awful about leaving them behind. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's all go. So we all went uh -huh. and it was really very difficult for everybody 
So it was, it was hot. He was not used to that weather. Um, it was, you know, he had like the flight, the, the flight was too long. We had to wait in Casablanca for 12 hours. They took the stroller away. We had to, you know, keep him in our arms because the, the airport was not that, you know, clean. And it was very awful. Then in, it, he got sick in Senegal. And, but, you know, it was a lot of traveling. Then in the middle, I had to go to Switzerland uh, to uh-huh. for a meeting. So we were in Cape Verde. And then my, my husband took my son to Senegal and I flew to, you know, to Switzerland for two days and then I got back to Senegal and I, you know, like on the, I cried so much in Praia at the airport. I cried so much when like on my own by myself there at night. Yeah. I cried so much. Then on the plane again, I cried so much and I got to Gland and I was in this amazing hotel room by myself resting. I was like, huh. This is actually not that bad, especially after like I, I, I called him on Skype and I've seen him. He was a little better, like he was having fun with his daddy and everything. And my husband was like, fine, we're good. Don't worry. It's a little bit hot. We're putting the AC on. It's going to be okay. Just, you know, do your meetings. And I really, it really helped. And I really felt like good to be resting. And after that, I realized that maybe it's better if he just stayed in Vancouver with his dad and everybody is going to be all right. And since then I've been traveling, but with a baby, like with this one, it's really difficult. And I was telling my boss recently, as I went to East Africa, you know, remember I was in, in uh, Tanzania and Madagascar and we took the kids and dropped them because I, uh, my husband needed to come with me for security reasons and like logistics and stuff. Um, but the, this, one of the things is that we had to drop the kids off in France with their grandparents. And, you know, like, it's really difficult to travel there and everything. But I was just telling my boss, basically, like, it's not fair, because beyond the emotions, what we feel, and I should feel, I shouldn't feel this guilty, because I'm used to it. But this year, I've traveled so much that, you know, this is, it was like for a whole month this time. And I really felt because they're not left with my husband, they're left with like grandparents for them, they're complete strangers, they don't see them that much. And, um, you know, beyond that guilt, there's also the emotional cost. There is also the financial cost associated with that, you know, oh, yeah. of having to take two kids with you and then having, you know, to, to have the flights from Paris to Nice and things like that, that we don't obviously, like, I don't, I cannot include that in an expense claim because I don't have, I wouldn't have to go to Nice if not to drop off my kids, but at the same time. Yeah. I wouldn't have to take them with me if it was not because I needed to, you know, and it, yeah. was, it was really something was very difficult and challenging and the pre- preparing for like, I could, I think I'm now an expert in how to travel with, with a baby at least uh, like the preparing the stuff. And um, it's just like the emotional, the, the financial burden, I think is something that should be somehow included in any proposal for a researcher, but we can't because it's, you know, wouldn't pass any audit, you know, I try. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd be lucky to get the grant in the first place. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, but it's it's not fair. It's not, we're, perpetu- we're perpetuating something. We should get some sort of help either to, you know, when the kids can stay with their dads that's or their, with their moms, whoever travels, that's awesome. But yeah. oftentimes there is a cost associated with that beyond like the simple traveling costs, whatever. There is a cost associated with that, if not emotional, a financial cost. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, uh, 
I can't even talk about in terms of talking about the cost because what it then meant was that, that <clears throat> excuse me, literally every conference I attended as a PhD student, my husband and my kids came with me. And the yeah. the bill is obviously covered by family expenses. My no, I don't. I mean, I, not not family expenses. My husband have to cover the bills. And if I was lucky to get um, some kind of grant from for the conference, it meant that it covered my own bit of the travel. But the PhD was basically it, it was it was very expensive for me and for my household because that was the only way we could ensure that I still was able to travel to some of these conferences where I, I of course, met a lot of interesting people. And actually, it was one of my last conferences was how I, I got introduced to you. I mean, you weren't there, but it was, I, again, Katie. Thank you, Katie. Uh, I, met, <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah. And I met a lot of, I met Emily. I met loads of amazing people when I was at the, at the climate change symposium in 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 Washington, uh, yeah, Washington D.C. last year, yeah, it was last year in June, and 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 so I again, imp- um, conferences are very important. But then when you have a family, when you have kids, yeah. when you are a PhD student, when you're actively researching or working as a researcher, it actually makes it quite difficult to sort of find a balance i mean this was the experience i got anyways and and this is practically one of the reasons why i genuinely cannot see myself talking about my success as a person in terms of finishing the phd without my husband in that story if i if i had i i don't want to say it's actually 50 50 in terms of sharing the success of, of of where i am now or where i'm sort of completing the PhD in the first place. But I'll probably say he, he's got 60 and I've got 40 because he was definitely selfless in some of the things. he Because he could have said, I'm sorry, I can't look after two kids. And therefore, you have to find another way. You know what I mean? And so I appreciate the fact that obviously, even as the father of, 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 of the kids, he had the responsibility to look after them. But at the same time, he could have said, I'm sorry, I've done so much. It's not going to work. And, but he didn't. So I guess, yeah, so this is a shout out to my husband. <laughs> I echo that. Very. I echo that. Definitely echo yeah. that. Like I feel the exact same way with, with mine because, um, again, he stopped work for two years. And it's been yeah. really challenging for him to find something to land back onto. Um, yeah. He Basically, he couldn't. After that, he couldn't. Like after two years because... Again, like you can justify as a woman, as a mom, mm-hmm. but if you write that on your on your resume, like saying, you know, like I took two years off to take out, especially here in Canada, we have like 18 months parental leave, mm-hmm. basically accepted by as a dad. And this is a shout out to the dads out there. Like um, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it kills your career. It kills your career, quite frankly. Like I'm saying it quite bluntly because it's true. Like it's this this sexism exists, and it 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 both ways. The fact that the stereotype that moms are the only ones or the ones that should be looking after the kids, um, and then dads, if a dad decides to stay at home and take care of the kids because you know the mom is is you know has to do research or something like that, then it's going to uh, reflect poorly on their resume 
and it's going to basically kill their careers. It doesn't work this way all the time, but in the case of my husband, it, it worked that way. So he did yeah. have a lot of stuff, um, you know, like um, he, he gave he gave away a lot of stuff, basically. Mm. And, uh, yeah, shout out to him as well, like and to all the dads and the moms. Yeah, yeah. Really hard towards, you know, like the kids and everything. But quite frankly, like I want to say something here as well, that um, beyond the sentiment of guilt and everything, I think that, um sometimes and actually most it's it is basic not most of the time but all the time if you travel by yourself without the kids as a mom and you feel good because you know you have your you time even if it's just like for 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 work it's okay to not feel guilty about that it is okay to feel good without the kids you know it's not a crime we're humans after all are you there Ife? I'm here. Okay. Yeah. We're humans after all. And it's okay to want to rest from time to time, even though we're resting and we're like taking refuge sometimes in our work. Um, but especially as researchers, um, but at the same time, I was telling you this uh, earlier, I think like, what if, what if in an alternate word, I, or you, Ife decide that, Oh, we feel so guilty that maybe we should just be uh, stay at home moms. We would not mm. be. Um, there is this balance that needs to be but at the same time, it's okay not to feel guilty. So not criminals if we don't feel guilty about leaving the kids behind, especially if they're like well taken care of. Sometimes we will feel guilty, I do, um, especially this year, but I think that beyond that, it's really important that measures or some sort of understanding in the workplace and i'm really happy i have a really understanding workplace by the way it's kids friendly and everything mm. and they do understand okay. kind of struggles but it's all linked back to the grant and the funders etc etc there is there are companies <coughs> out there that allow for kids to be there but again you have that extra financial burden which is you know we yeah. can't we're not Bill Gates. We can't always afford to take the kids with us um, and our partners with us. But at the same time, I think there needs to be something out there. It's just a shout out basically to parents and especially moms because we're both moms that um, we understand basically. And, 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 yeah. and circling back, I just remember like this thing, circling back to the breast milk and how difficult it is, you know, taking breast frozen breast milk um, through security in the air in airports is a whole different story in many times that like in, in Amsterdam they understand uh, or like this they understood I just said this is breast milk they didn't even open it because they said it might be defrost and we don't want to you know we don't want you to lose your breast milk they just pass it through like a special security thing Toronto. Mm -hmm. I got questioned, like he opened the thing, took the breast bags one by one. He was like, why, why are you transporting this? What is this? I was like, it's breast milk. Where is the baby? And I thought this is such a stupid question to ask. Where is the baby? Obviously, oh, yeah. with me, I wouldn't be needing to freeze breast milk and, and take it with me from one place to the other. But I was like, okay, keep your calm. You're exhausted. You just travel too much. You're stressed about your breast milk. You can't wait to get home. And you had to pump on the plane in front of everybody. But you just have to answer this stupid question as kindly as you can. It's like, oh, my baby is with his, her daddy. And 
I have to freeze my milk so that it gets home safely and for my baby to use. It's like, but why? And how did you get this? So, and then this, that's when like these, these questions that I can't really ask when, like a supervisor came was like, what is going on? I was like, this is my frozen restaurant. And she was looking at him and like, she was, she was shocked in her face. She was yeah. a certain age. Probably she has kids, I think. And she had maybe to go through that as well. And she was looking at him and was like, what are you doing, dude? You know, I was like, she had some frozen breast milk. Let her go, you know. And, and so he, yeah. he let me go after that. But it was, it was a whole different story. And it, it depends from an airport to the other. But it's an extra thing that you have to deal with um, as a breastfeeding mom. But it's just funny. But just like to let you know, moms, breastfeeding moms that are pumping, you can transport your frozen breast milk with you. It does not matter if it's above 100 mils or 30 mils, whatever security at the airport tells you. Frozen breast milk passes security at the airport even without, especially actually, without the baby with you. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, in case... That's when I can ask you the inappropriate question. Why are you planning to have another? <laughs> no, actually, on a very funny note, yeah. my husband says that if I ever get pregnant, then it is a grudge baby. You know, it's more like a joke, like someone had it in for him. <laughs> yeah, is that bad? So no, I'm definitely not considering having another one. But it's 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 good to know that I wish I knew it actually. And whilst my experience of carrying um breast milk has been pleasant, especially traveling from from the UK, because all you need to do is you just show them is breast milk. They actually have signs at the airport saying that you you could well certain airports that you could um Transport. Take your breastfeed. Yeah, you can transfer breastfeed. Yeah, no, so it is good to know. And and I'm I'm actually happy that we're making this um, podcast today, although it's impromptu. But I wish I had listened to something like this yeah. before I I went for my field work when I was a PhD student, and uh, or even when I was doing my PhD, because there there are so many times I came close to quitting because. I, I was by the time I was now in my second third year. By my third year, I now have two kids. I didn't mm-hmm. take any maternity leave. I finished my PhD in four years plus. Yeah. With the support of amazing supervisors. And again, I have to bring back talking about my husband and the role he played. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't take maternity leave only because I was so worried. I was concerned about the things I've read online about people that have taken a break and never went back. And so I was like, oh no, if I take a break because of these kids, I don't think I will ever go back. And so it was more like struggling and, and doing everything I can and obviously working hard. Yeah. And it affected me mentally. Um, but maybe in retrospect, I, I don't even know if I know what I know now, if I should have done it. Because mentally, I, I became quite stressed. I, there was a period that I, I felt like, you know what, I'm, I don't want to be here anymore. It, 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 it was that bad. I felt like, oh, no, I, I couldn't handle the stress of the PhD. I, di- I also felt that I had done so much that I didn't want to stop, yeah. you know. 
And so it was more like I was feeling like a failure. This was towards the end. And, and despite all the support that I had. So in retrospect, I wasn't really, I don't know if it, w- it would have been the right thing to do, like continue with the PhD, not having a break after having kids. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful to God that I'm here now that I have finished and I love what I'm doing. I, I, I absolutely love it, but obviously I need to, I'm still trying to learn to sort of get a balance between doing the job and, and being a mom. I, I, I still have a lot of catching up to do. So um, I, I hope that our impromptu podcast sort of helps someone else out there in terms of thinking about things and, and balancing motherhood or mothering yeah. with either doing your PhD or working as a researcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most important working, thing, I mean, for me... Working in any field, actually. Yeah. Like- yeah, so, yeah. So even as a mother, working in an office or sort of anything else, Yeah. the most important thing is whether or not you have a husband or a wife or a partner. It, support, having a support network yes. is the key word. It definitely helps to have some sort of a, a support network, be it your, your, your mom, your sister, your brother, your yeah. nanny, your partner, whoever. It, yeah. it makes it easier if you have someone or some people to, to sort of support yeah. you through that process without feeling, one, isolated, or two, that you have to give up your career just because you're a mother. Yeah, and so there I is- hope that podcast helps you. Joining what you just said earlier, there is a lot of negative BS online about, you know, like if you if you take some time off, you're going to stay home because there is a lot of negative bullshit out there about that. And the positive stories do not get told about, you know, people taking actual, you know, moms taking leave and going back to work fresh and happy. And, you know, they're they're. I, I got both experiences actually, like right after. So I finished my PhD. Well, I, I got it, yes, basically my son at the same time. And um, I was told, I remember I had, um, I defended my thesis when my son was two months old. And I wow. remember like right when I, when I was leaving, I, I told um, somebody that I was leaving, um, going to take some time off. And they said, you're not going to take a year, are you? You know, oh, wow. I was like, okay, obviously I'm going to kill my career if I take a full year. So I'm just going to take three months, which is basically the maternity leave in a lot of countries in the world. You know, in the U.S. it's not even that. Um, but I really felt compelled to go back as, and I was not ready as opposed to, you know, like I, I was not ready, but I knew that I would eventually go back. And I was happy to go back later, not then. And I decided that if I ever had a second child, um, that I'm going to take as much as I wanted. And at work, they were so supportive. It was like, you take as much as you need. And they, you know, basically it's my right. Yes. But it adds an extra layer of, you know, like confidence when someone at work, you know, like the, the environment at work tells you, you take as much as you need. We're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. We, we obviously love what you do and everything. And, you know, extremely supportive but it just and I took six months because you know like for financial reasons and everything um I had to go back but at the same time I missed it a little bit I I need to say but Mm -hmm. regards to that it does not people go back after 18 months after a year after two years after some people decide to go earlier because they love their work too much 
everything but it's not only everything is okay it's, it depends on what you really want and again mm -hmm. there's a lot of negative bullshit online about people people tend to say the negative stuff online more than the positive stuff <laughs> i <laughs> guess yeah you will always find those trolls that would say like bad 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 stuff but then you know the positive stuff is not necessarily told and basically i'm really happy that we're doing this today because it's not always negative yes we have had some experiences that are quite challenging and, and difficult but we also we learned from those experiences the both of us I, th I think and you know i could i could say a whole bunch of stuff about how to bring your milk from one country to another from oh. or how to travel with a baby because you know like how to prepare what to what to pack the toys the stuff you know like taking a bit and even like we got back from uh, where were we in in france we got back And I was supposed to go to Switzerland. Uh, we got back on the 8th and I was supposed to be in Switzerland on the 9th. But I told them I couldn't because, you know, like I wanted to spend some time with my kids and, and I wanted to come to Vancouver to come back. And so mm. we got here, the kids were jet lagged. So just like the supportive husband there, the kids were jet lagged. So obviously they woke up at like three in the morning and I had my meeting at four in the morning with Switzerland. And so I was a WTO delegations and so the World Trade Organization. And so mm -hmm. my husband did, was like, yes, it's four and three in the morning. The kids are fully awake. We're both exhausted. We traveled the same day, basically. The kids have slept through the day and everything. But I have a meeting. So what he did was like, just take the kids in the car. Some people yeah. would, he was like, why would he be driving with two kids awake in a car at three in the morning you know seeing it from an outsider's perspective but they were fully awake they needed to get, they had a meeting and so uh, with with a meeting where the kids could not just play around and everything and i was thinking after that that if that happens again like and i have another meeting coming up soon on the 23rd actually the kids if they're there If they're awake, if they're having fun, the first thing that I'm going to start with is like, I apologize if you hear a baby crying or kids, but beyond my life as a researcher and expert, I happen to be a mom as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm joining a meeting at three in the morning or at four in the morning. I have kids. Where are you expecting me to be or the kids to be? So it's okay if people hear the kids. It's not the end of the world. They're going to, you know, recover from that. Yeah. But basically, like, it is not all negative. A whole, like, we need to reestablish a culture of acceptance. Um, and again, I'm really happy that my husband and your husband as well were very supportive. And I'm really happy that my work environment is really supportive as well. But there, there needs to be a whole change of culture with regards to our perceptions, with regards to kids. You know, you go to a meeting, it's okay to hear a baby cry, especially if the meeting is at like three in the morning or even, even like if you travel to a conference and you have nobody to take care of your kids. And I've seen a mom breastfeeding at a conference in Toronto. And, you know, a lot of things have changed, but there is more to change as well. And we need to establish that culture of yes, what, you know, yes, I'm breastfeeding my kid at a conference, so what? Or yes, I'm pumping milk on a plane, so what? Or yes, you can hear my baby cry at three in the morning, so what? You know, these kind of culture, basically. Yeah. Well, uh, at least I hope that with this podcast, we're kind of doing our bit by shining a light on it and, and also sort of knowing those that are so... Those... Sorry, you're cutting out. Cultures that have 
that those that have supported us and tolerated us, if, if that's a term you want to use, that they are appreciated. And, and then also that people that might find themselves in, in a position where they're thinking, is it actually possible to juggle mothering if you're already doing having a family or starting a family? If it's possible to sort of join out from my my experiences obviously that it is possible if you have the support of of your partner if you have a good support network you shouldn't sort of give up your dream of of doing amazing things with your life just because and you even single mothers, mother. no, even single mothers it depends on the support network yeah yeah oh yeah yeah so yeah that's the point hence the emphasis is not just about having the husband or the wife, but it's, it's definitely the support network because I, I don't even want to imagine how my life would be if I was a single mom. I, I couldn't handle it without support from people, you know. And so it, the most important thing is understanding that it, it is doable. You can, you can have sort of live your dream but you need to have sort of a good support network. It does help to have a very good support network, yeah. uh, even if it means paying for it in terms of having nannies or stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a uh, call out to funders. Think about that, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. They should actually, they should, they should consider seriously consider having an option for providing extra funding for parents who need it so they should make them aware that there is actually that kind of funding available because otherwise i i can't even imagine i'm personally i i can't even tell you the number of conferences i've turned down because i felt that yes it's going to cover my expenses but by the time my family or my kids came with me or come with me, that it would just be too expensive for us to cover ourselves. And so I have missed out, I'm sure, on amazing conferences just because I couldn't afford to to bring the kids along because leaving them at home wasn't an option at all. So yes, um, funders, you should consider that very seriously. Yeah, it's it's really it gets difficult otherwise. Like it, but it's possible. I mean, like it's there is a lot of sacrifices involved. Um, I think there are there are two different things there. First, the sacrifices that are involved, but at the same time, it's okay to leave the kids with someone. It's difficult, but it's okay mm-hmm. to leave the kids with a trusted someone, obviously, and to feel good about yourself traveling by yourself. You know, when you're traveling. But also the fact that, you know, like it's really overall, like even not traveling overall, it's possible. It doesn't have to be with though. Like we're not only talking about traveling here, but overall, like, you know, like keeping your career path and all of that, like, it's okay to take a rest. It's okay if you don't want to take a rest, but there needs to be some balance, you know, there needs to be some balance. I did two burnouts, you know, mm. in my lifetime basically. And 
the last one that I did really taught me a huge lesson and I've like forced myself to re-educate, you know, the whole family with regards to what we needed to do. And I've, I was telling you about this basically like after 7 p.m., for example, absolutely no work talk. Like I did this for two years because I need to find that balance a little bit and no work during the weekends. And obviously now I'm, I'm defying every single rule, even when I'm off, <laughs> I'm, I'm working. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I know when to stop. And I really learned a lot from like that because it took me two years of implementing that strictly so that I learn that it's okay. Like the world is going to survive without me. If I don't answer that email at three in the morning, you know? Yeah. True. Yeah, so yeah, I think we're, we're touching, like it, it's really interesting topic that's completely improvised. Um, and we're going to um, we're going to basically um, we're going to basically end with a more positive note because this is what we decided, Ife and I, right? Um, the mm -hmm. recommendations or some advice, Ife, based on your experiences. Uh, what can you advise the? Uh, we we call this in French the chercheurs en herbe mothers that are struggling or parents that are struggling right now with regards to what they do, their work and their family balance? So, so from my personal experience, obviously coming from a PhD student and now uh, an early career researcher would be that obviously asking for help, you shouldn't be afraid to ask for help. Nobody knows it all. Nobody can, can do it all. And yeah. so it is actually rather than leaving people to assume that you are okay, that you're not struggling, that you don't need any help, ask for help when you do. And in terms of my experience, what worked for me as a researcher was that if I had one hour, for example, where the kids are not making noise or when they're sleeping, I made that one hour count. So in, in a week, sometimes I could actually only have three hours of productive work, but those three hours would be really three hours of working hard and taking advantage of the fact that they are settled. So I guess you just have to manage your time or your work, mm -hmm. the work that you can bring home, of course, around, around your kids. And, and, and don't take the support of your partner if you're in a relationship don't take their support for granted. Indeed. Recognize, I, I mean, if, if, if I want to sort of use the common term, don't take the pace, you know, recognize when the opportunity arises, when to sort of give them that break, even if it's 20 minutes, even when they're saying, no, 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 it's actually okay. No, you can do it. No, you like, oh no, it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Just recognize, be sensitive in, in terms of, knowing that they are working hard to support you, but don't, don't take the piss basically. Yeah. That's, and, that's all I can say. And at the same time, you know, like um, beyond what people, some people, not all people, some people think that, you know, taking care of the kids is a job of a woman. That's not the case. It is a shared responsibility between uh, two partners, basically, mm -hmm. regardless of mm -hmm. what you are. Um, and, However, when the whole entire burden falls, befalls on one of them because the other has to work, as Ife just said, um, don't take that for granted. 
basically. And I think another thing is that do not give up your professional dreams for family, but do not give up your family for your professional dreams. Yeah. Basically, it's there is a balance out there. Um, yeah, and, yeah. You know, like just reach out when you need help. Um, change the culture or try and work towards changing the culture in your work environment. If your work environment is not supportive um, of families or kids or things like that. So I think there is a lot of positiveness out there. We've had a few funny anecdotes, I think, um, but overall we're surviving um, and we're doing quite well. So it's possible. And I know a lot of other women that are like and parents and dads as well that are doing just very well as well, you know, with that balance. So um, there is, you know, there's a lot of negative BS online, but there is also a lot of stories. And I really hope that you share this podcast with whoever um, you think should listen to it, but also take, um, take it that you should not feel guilty and if you do it's normal and try to seek support um and make it happen just make it happen yeah so on that note would say um thank you so much for listening for tuning in and we will see you in our next episode thank you everybody bye bye